0: What's up and welcome to Ahead of the Curve. This is your host, Jonathan Gellner, and thank you so much for joining us. Today's podcast is powered by Stick'n Ball TV, the baseball and softball streaming platform. If you're unfamiliar with Stick and Ball, they are the go-to source for anything streaming baseball or softball. They have hundreds of videos updated weekly from some of the top coaches in the country. Go check it out at stickinball.tv or on the Stick'n Ball TV mobile app. Today's podcast is sponsored by What About Baseball. It's no secret that we live in a world with constant electronic distractions. Families are spending less time together and kids often can't look up from their devices. But the What About Baseball brand is here to help. What About Baseball is a family-owned, baseball-centric business whose focus is on providing the best baseball toys, games, and accessories to bring family and friends back together to bond over the great sport of baseball. Starting with their best-selling classic edition board game, What About Baseball offers fun and exciting gameplay for fans at all levels, from beginner to expert. Whether you want to teach someone the basics of counting balls and strikes, or whether you are deciding if you should call the suicide squeeze, What About Baseball's Classic Edition board game is a proven winner and has the reviews to prove it. Even better, it's made right here in the USA. What About Baseball would like to reward Ahead of the Curve listeners 20% off their best-selling board game and free shipping. Go to whataboutbaseball.com backslash curve to get your special offer. Once again, that's whataboutbaseball.com backslash curve. On today's show, we have on Larry Vukin, head baseball coach at Southlake Carroll in Southlake, Texas. Larry took over in 2017 as the head coach at Carroll, and since he took over, They have reached the final four three times in his first four years and won back-to-back Texas High School 6A State Baseball Championships in 2018 and 2019. He was also named the Dallas-Fort Worth High School Baseball Coach of the Year in 2017 and 2019. A little background on Larry. He is a native of El Paso, played collegiately at New Mexico Highlands University, and played professionally in the Italian Baseball League, and also coached and managed there. On the show, we discuss how to communicate throughout a large program. They have five total teams. Larry also goes in-depth with his player evaluation system, and that's vital with having 107 players in the program, and we also discuss how to get teams ready for postseason play. You're going to love this episode with Larry Vukang. Larry, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you. Excited to be here.
0: Definitely, and I'm, I'm excited to learn from you today. I know that that man, you South Lake is is such an awesome program, and and really, uh, you guys have gotten it rolling there. And and you you come from a really interesting background, and I know that those guys uh, had heard that in the intro that you got to play a little bit in Italy. Uh, you're a native of El Paso, and so you've kind of made all kinds of different trips around the world, and. And then made yourself to South Lake. But I do want to ask you, you know, first off, is how awesome was it playing in Italy, getting to eat pasta and pizza and then travel travel the countryside.
1: Yeah, that's that's honestly, Jonathan, that's probably the best experience of my life out of all of this was just the time spent there. Yeah, you, know, you know how it is. You're when you're going through it, you enjoy it, but you don't realize how how much it's gonna affect you and really be a part of you as you go forward. And Um, the friendships and the connections made uh, were far beyond, just like you figure out once you get into this coaching career, like you have uh, long enough that it's more about those relationships and, and the people that you get to come into contact with. Baseball is important and we love it and all that other stuff, but it's, it's all those people. And that's, that's what I think about Italy is all, some of my best friends, quite honestly, in the world are still from Italy. You know, I still have very close relationships there. So I know it's not the exciting stuff with the pasta and the traveling and all that other stuff. That was obviously fun, but um, I uh, we got to go back a couple of years ago, my wife and I, just to visit. She had never been there, and so that was nice to take her back to those villages and all the towns that we played in and stuff. And that was a lot of fun.
0: Well, that's wonderful. Well, let's let's rewind just to a couple of years ago, back in 2017, whenever you took over as the head coach at Carroll. And so, just kind of walk us through just the vision of what you wanted, because I. I, th- I think most people hear South Lake; they hear great football program, great athletics in general. And I know you knew that. And it's like, okay, you're taking over. And I just want to hear like your thought process of, okay, here's some things that we're doing, what th- we did well or doing well. Uh, and here's some different things that I want to implement. And here's where we want to be in three or four years. or just kind of what, what did the vision look like for you whenever you uh, took over the head coaching job?
1: Well, I think... I think, you know, I was an assistant there. So I got to, I was an assistant since 2010-11. I came from El Paso Franklin and uh, was a head coach there. And then spent one year at Northwest High School um, in Justin, Texas, not far from Southlake. Was actually in the district that year with Southlake Carroll. And was the pitching coach um, for Northwest uh, High School. And got to see Southlake. And I, of course, had heard everything about Southlake, watching them. In football and all this other stuff, the Blondies and all that stuff. And saw them in baseball in the final four in Round Rock. And I think it was 2008 when they lost to Plano. They had beaten Houston Bel Air in the semifinals. And so I, I kind of knew a little bit, but I never even thought for a second that I would have a chance to be at, at Southlake. And and I don't even know if I really, that was a goal, right? I just wanted, I needed a change. And I got out here and um, was a pitching coach. And then I talked to Larry Hughes after my first year at Northwest and was fortunate enough to get on, and um, he said, "Come on over and uh, get through the interview. If you can get through the teaching interviews, and I think, quite honestly, that's the hardest part of getting into Carol is the uh, is the is getting through the screening and all the the twenty eight thousand interviews you have to go through and processes just to teach. And so I think once that happened, I felt good about it. And I was actually a volunteer my first year. I didn't get paid to coach at South Lake, and so and this is after ten years of coaching, head coaching in El Paso. And so I get there and. Um, Served from 2010, 2011, and uh, all the way up to 2017, as you said, and uh, uh, under Larry Hughes, who's a legend at South Lake, a great coach, a great person, and so forth, and was his pitching coach for all those years. And um, once he retired, to get to your question, I, I essentially, I think, you know, I, I didn't know immediately if I wanted even to. I, Obviously, I wanted an opportunity. I just knew the magnitude of South Lake and all that it entails. You have to be all in, obviously, all 100% in. And that's not just during the season. It's 365 there. And so I think I knew that by seeing it and what Coach Hughes had to deal with. And I just made a decision once it was opened up, I was going to take a shot at it. But you never knew. There were so many candidates that are applying for it and so forth. And so I, I had a plan. I, I was remember I was in California and waiting for my interview date and so forth. And um, visiting and, and uh, enjoying vacation, and then jotting down ideas. And I thought this time I'm going to really have a lot of fun. I really had fun at Franklin in El Paso as a head coach, but I was fighting myself so much. The kids were wonderful, the community was wonderful, but I was trying to be that hard nose all the time. And 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 I don't know if I was really about building relationships. And one of the things I figured out if I was going to do this again, it was going to be my way. And I didn't have to, I didn't need to be a head coach to be fulfilled. Is what I'm trying to say. And I had reached that point in my career where where I felt really good about the classroom. I could have gone and done select and travel. And as you know, you can make more money doing that and so forth. But I I wanted to take a shot at it. And I thought if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it my way. So I jotted down exactly what I wanted to do. And once I got the position, um, I somehow got hired and and went in and I said, I'm going to follow through with this plan and we're going to be heavy on development. Um, We're going to be heavy on, um, and I'm um, basically building relationships throughout the program, making it a true program. And Coach Hughes did a great job with this. I just felt like I'm going to put my spin on it. That was all. And, uh, and, you know, and so I was going to be very inclusive. I remember as an assistant, I never even saw the freshmen. They were at a different campus. If you know anything about South Lake, there's the ninth and 10th grade campus, and there's 11th and 12th, and they're probably two miles apart but I would never, none of us went down, the varsity coaches ever went down to see the freshmen they practice on the other campus. And so I never got to know them until they got up on the JV. And so I thought I'm going to make this an all inclusive kind of situation and um, really build it from the very, from the bottom up with a, with a top down mentality, if that makes sense. Right. So obviously the top team is going to determine whether you keep your job there or not, but we were going to really focus on development early on and building those relationships. So, I know it's a long-winded answer but that's kind of what the first thing that i was looking for was how can i connect with the kids and get them to understand what, what it meant to be a program
0: i love hearing that and uh for those not listening or for those listening that, that aren't familiar with south lake uh one of the larger it is at the largest classification in texas so a very large school uh and so a lot of schools especially in the south and i've been a part of those you have like several different campuses and it is very segregated at times. And so I've felt that as well. And you've only got, I don't know if you've got more than one baseball field, but most campuses in, in general only have one or they may have uh, an infield. And so I would love to hear how you made it all inclusive because that I think the standard is, yes, it is very segregated and separated uh, with JV freshmen. And then the varsity or JV and varsity may be together, but I'd love to hear your thought process and how you started to integrate all three teams in one area.
1: Sure. I think, you know, we do have two fields to answer your question. I think we have uh, we have the it's a natural surface. Both fields were natural surface at the time I got the job. And now, obviously, they they've built the mammoth. Uh, that it is now um, through through some bond money and so forth and that uh, has been around for two years now and it, it, so when you think of the new facility, it's amazing. but when I got there and even when I got the job, it, ha- it was not that way. And so we had we have a natural surface which quite honestly is really good over at the ninth to 10th grade campus and then we had uh, a pretty good field over at the senior high campus, which was juniors and seniors. And so what we you know we didn't have we weren't blessed early on my first year, and even through the whole years, this was a big part of what I wanted to do. the vision was we didn't have fall baseball for freshmen. They all pretty much went to football at that time. And um, there was a coaching change in football at that time at South Lake. And so right in the middle of that, I got fortunate as I got the job. I kind of jumped in right in that opportunity time and was able to communicate with uh, the ninth and 10th grade campus uh, principal and then the senior high campus principal. Um, And we also had a change in administration at the athletic department. And so with that happening, I was able to kind of ask them, hey, listen, can I get ninth grade baseball as an option for class in the fall? That's important for us uh, to continue to get where we want to uh, with the vision that I stated out in the interview process. And of course, it's hard when you state it like that for them to say, well, we hired you, but. We don't want to, we want to fall through with what your plan is, right? So they were really good about that, and they went ahead with it, and they got me freshman baseball. So what I would say is that's the first piece of it was I was able to get freshmen an opportunity if they chose not to go football. We're all good if they do. Obviously, we all support, and I mean that sincerely. I'm not just saying that. There's a really good relationship at South Lake between football and baseball, and Coach Dodge does an incredible job working with us. Um, and he he was fine. I mean, we we got the, we were able to get freshman baseball as an option. And so I think that was piece one. And so my first year, they were building the new facility at the senior high. So everybody was over at at the high school. And so I would do the freshman in the morning and it would just be me because one thing they said, Larry, you can have the freshman baseball class, but we can't give you another coach. We We can't give you another coach for that block. You can have your assistants for the afternoon block, but you can't have them in the morning. So I ran the entire freshman baseball class in the morning, and then I went and taught two AP psychology classes, and then I came back for afternoon baseball with the sophomores, juniors, and seniors, and so over at the senior high. And so that that was, a, that was tough, but I asked for it, and so I was going to invest in it, and I was able to kind of put the plan to work. And I think to be able to isolate, to get to know and connect with just the freshman and me, and there was no other distractions, uh, there was a big, big deal and so um, that first group actually was the group that um, left last year and had won, essentially didn't lose a playoff, hadn't lost a playoff game in three years, essentially, that group going through. And so, um, you know, that, that was an important, obviously, part and piece of it and so forth to build my foundation to convey the message of, of unity, of, of work ethic and attitude and, and how you've got to go about practice, how you've got to wear your socks, how you need to wear your pants how your hat needs to look, what we do with field maintenance, how you compose yourself and comport yourself in the dugout, how you comport yourself in the classroom and on the buses and in the restaurants and everything else like that. That was early on. I was able to kind of push that early on and get them to kind of buy in. And those who didn't obviously went on to football or did something else. right? But that that was an integral piece. I still think if there was anything that I would look back to, that was a big part of it. Um, and then as they obviously we kept the class and we still have it today. But now what we do is because we have the large facility, um, they flipped it now and we all go in the morning. And so um everybody goes in the morning. So I have freshmen through seniors um in the morning. And so we we start practice even like today. We started at 7:15 and they'll go till nine o'clock. And this is the front two freshman teams and the two JVs go and then i i'm there in the morning and i'll be honest with you i have a great staff i do most they work in the spring more in the fall i'm there every day with them in the in the spring i'm doing something in the office with scheduling or, or planning for the afternoon practice and i bring the varsity back in the afternoon because you know you know this we're in there in january and february you don't want your 90 mile hour arms if you have any or or whatever to be throwing bullpens at 7.15 in the morning on an icy field in North Texas. And so, you know, it's, it's, we, so we have to, we don't get an extra class for them. We have to bring them back in the afternoon. Um, so it's a seven to eight day, you know, you asked today at seven o'clock, I had just gotten here. You had said at 6.45, Hey, can you hop on? I was like, no, I'm getting there. I'm getting there. So I just got home. And so this is pretty much the day. I mean, it, it starts early and it ends late. And, uh, you know, I'm fortunate to have an incredible staff, but we're all together. I mean, we're all at one complex now. We don't really use the high school field, the ninth, the tenth grade campus, as much anymore.
0: I love that. I love hearing that, and and I can only imagine just how much it means for you know those underclassmen to get to see you every single day. Because it, I remember being an underclassman and seeing the head baseball coach, and it, obviously it wasn't a program like Carol. Uh, but it was just like, oh man, he's actually, you know, paying attention to us. And so just building that connection early, I think is really, really cool. And so you mentioned just teaching them how to be a Carroll baseball player. Can you kind of walk us through what some of your standards or rules are, or at least expectations of what it's like to play there?
1: Yeah. First thing obviously is there's a lot of kids. I mean, we, it, it'll, it'll fluctuate. It's not that way this year, but it'll fluctuate. So think in terms of, with five teams, you're talking close to 107 kids in the program to manage, you know, and it's um, you know, the each team is playing 17 non-district or district games and, and regular season games plus three tournaments, and so we'll max out 18 is about 34 games, 33 games for each of the of the five teams, um, and so scheduling is tough, and so these kind of things, but I, I think, you know, in order to do that, it has to be built upon respect, and I think. The respect with all those kids coming in, um, the egos that are there, as you can imagine, they're phenomenal kids, but they do come prepared and they do have a background. They do have resources, let's be honest, that maybe others don't have with regard to lessons and select and travel. So there is a little bit of an advantage in there. Well, with managing all of that, um, you have to set a standard and expectation of how we're going to treat each other. And I think that has to be established first and foremost. And that you matter. You get what you allow in anything, and so you you have to model the behavior, and then you've got to reinforce the behavior consistently because there are going to be hiccups, and even coaches are going to have hiccups. We're going to say things, we're going to raise our voice when we shouldn't, we're going to get emotional when we shouldn't, and so the big thing is is not just coaching the kids, but it's also coaching our coaches about this is how we want to respond to these kind of situations. Here's what I'll respond to. You give it to me, so and I'll take care of it from there. So I think. A lot of it has to do with these kids walking in, and, and you know this. You you know enough about this. Carroll is is a unique school in a lot of ways. It, it's it's no better nor any worse than any other high school, but it's a little unique with regard to such things. I don't know how Owasso is or some of these others, but the, the dragon logo and and Southlake Carroll in general, being the Southlake Carroll dragon and the the logo and the scheme, the color schemes are the same for elementary, middle, and high school and senior high they don't change. They're all the same. So that wasn't for me. When I was in school, I was a pony. Then I was a Mustang. And then I was a trooper. I mean, I was a lot of different things, but I was never the same thing growing up. So a lot of these kids, most of them grow up. That's all they know. So that's a lot of that is a competitive advantage from a standpoint is they, they work so hard to get into the program, be a part of it. So when you're asking me, what are the standards? Well, the standards set by the community and the expectations I wish I could claim that I had anything to do with that. The only thing I can do is make sure that they're going to treat each other with respect. They're going to treat their coaches with respect, the umpires with respect, the opponents with respect, and they're going to do things the right way as best as they possibly can. And when we say that, that's all great, right? Those are words, but you have to reinforce that and stay on that. And we fail at it too. You just got to stay on it and so forth. So even things, Jonathan, like like how you pay, how you take care of the batting cages. How you put the buckets back, the 22 buckets back. I mean, today I was on a kid, a freshman, because he didn't put the red bucket with the red buckets. He put it in a yellow column. And so little things, the detail about, hey, there's 12 balls in each bucket. When they're not machine worthy and the flap's coming off, that goes in the other bucket for soft toss. Do you understand how this works? And he'd come, yes, sir, and he's just a little freshman and so forth. But it's, it's that, that attention to detail. And I hadn't talked to him all year. I had to ask who, what his name was because I hadn't seen him all year. And, um, you know, I was there for tryouts and so forth, but he's probably looking at me like who's this crazy balding old man telling me about color buckets and so forth. But I think that's established and those are the expectations and, Um, But it was done with a soft tone and it was done with a smile at the end of it. And it's it's a connection. And it's something that, you know, I you know, if I'm remembering, and I'm sure he's thinking about that tonight at dinner, you know, those kind of things. And um, not because I'm anybody, but just like you said, it's the it's the title, does it right? It's not me. It's 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 just the title. So I think, um, you know, these are these are how you connect with kids that you take the time to teach and know until you get to know a kid. The kind of tone of voice you use with them, making eye contact, um, these kind of things, and then the kid will carry that on with his coach, whoever his JV or freshman coach is, um, and then you expect the coaches to do the same thing.
0: That's really neat. And it's five teams—that's that's a—that's uh, that's quite a few to be able to uh, coordinate throughout the year. So, I'm, if if you aren't already, you're earning your paycheck just for that. But uh, yeah. <laughs> With that, but it's fun. It's fun. Oh, I'm, I'm sure, and it and it allows for a ton of kids to get a ton of playing time, which is, you know, obviously an, an issue in high school baseball. Everybody wants it, but with with that, you know, everybody wants to. You grow up in South Lake. Everybody wants to uh, to be a dragon, and you can only play at most ten at a time if you have a pitcher and a DH. And so, walk us through kind of how that works as far as culture goes because you know they're you know they're excited about being there but then they get to you know the varsity level or jv level freshman level and they may not exactly go where it wants how do you how do you kind of steer the ship the right way because i we may be in the time of year where a lot of us are going through that where you know the kids are frustrated because they're not playing at wherever they are or they're you know they're not getting the college looks or where whatever it may be but just kind of walk us through how you've how you steer the ship because you've obviously done a good job and you've had lots of experience doing so uh would you have any advice for that coaches going through a similar situation
1: well I, I i hope this is the right advice i don't know if i have anything figured out i can tell you that um Um, I, I, what I will tell you, this is it goes back. It's not about skill development. It's not about, Hey, this is where your head, (laughs) where the bat needs to be at load with regard to front foot contact and and the plane and your elbow getting into slot and the barrel getting online. And uh, it's not that it's really not. And and I know nobody wants to hear this because it's not mechanical application and functional movement and stuff, but I will tell you flat out it's relationships. And so how do you keep them fired up and how do you get them excited uh, to come in every day at seven fifteen in the morning when there's there's dew on the field and it's cold and and they and they're expect the expectation is that they don't miss. Well, I think a lot of that is again is making connections, is is communicating with kids, smiling at them, letting them know, going over to a kid, being aware, just a sense of awareness in your own program that you look at a kid in left field. You know, I took the time to talk to that kid today and smile at him at the bucket stuff and and um, you know it, it's it's being able to go over and watch a kid and maybe you see that he doesn't drop step well on a fly ball and he hasn't played. And I see the stats on Monday morning. I have to get a report from all of our coaches every Monday morning um, about the week previously. And so I get their stats. They have to write me a little bit of a summary on, on what they're thinking with regard to players and personnel and so forth. And then I go through the game changer and look at kind of match it up in the mornings and so forth. And so I'll look at a kid and I'll take a highlighter and I'll go through his name and see, man, this kid is you know, he's oh, he was oh for his last 18. And I look at it and maybe he hasn't had, a, he hasn't played in the last three games. And of course, I know why because he was oh for 18. So I'll, I'll put on a little, little card, hey, go visit with David Johnson. Okay. And so if I walk out there, I'll go out to left field and I'll see him out there. And he's not sad or anything. It's not like that. But I'll go up there and communicate with him and stand next to him and say, hey, Bum, we're so excited you're part of this program. We can't wait. You're going to be so good. It's just taking time. I know. And I know you're frustrated, but you just stay with it. Who? What's your plans this summer? Who are you going to play with? Uh, what's your plans with weights and conditioning to get stronger? What, are you excited to be a, a Dragon baseball player in the future? Because we sure are. Those kind of things. And it's a two-minute deal. And then and then I walk off and, and I've gotten some answers from them and so forth. And so I, I don't know if that always works. Uh, you, you can still have kids that are down and maybe move on to other programs. There's, there's no doubt. But I know that... If I was a kid, I would want that. And that's what I'm going to do. Okay. So I think taking the time to do that and, and and I still fail at that. I mean, I, I can tell you over the last three weeks with this COVID thing, it's been, it's been even crazier that I haven't yet gotten out to connect with the freshmen and JV as much as I want to this year, as I'd like to. And so, and uh, so I, I, I would tell you the advice I would have is the smallest guy you think in your chain, is the most important one, right, is build it from that standpoint. And just the little things of connections goes a long way because now you've made that kid's day and he'll go talk to another kid and he's going to rub off on the kid and say, hey, dude, let's go. Let's go after school. We don't want to practice after school. Let's go get extra hitting in the cages at the high school. Let's go do this. And you've lit a fire now and that fire starts to build around and others come into the fire. And so I think that keeps them coming back. I think part of our issue is with regard to like varsity. We've got thirty-four kids on the varsity, and only nine, like you said, ten or eleven are playing, and maybe thirteen. But you—that's where your developmental program comes in. That's where your BP. You have to be creative with your batting practices. You can't hit everybody, or practices would be four hours, right? So you got four groups of four. You want to be in the top sixteen, but that's where you identify every day. You take metrics on hhbs every day just like we do in the fall and say hey man you're killing it here so it just takes a couple managers who are in the cages with with you where you're not getting live bp that are taking hhbs and jonathan wins hhbs in the cages he's not getting live bp he's not playing a lot but he wins the last two days he's won the hhbs off of the curb right-handed curveball machine and off the plus fastball machine and off front toss and we take those numbers and we say hey jonathan hey, jump in. You're one of the 16 today. And and so the kid feels like, God, it's worthwhile to excel and to do well um, that the coaches are going to see this. And, and we miss it, too. I mean, we get the numbers, and there are times where we we do miss it, and there's no doubt. But we try to do the best we can to identify those guys, and we always keep a spot open to pull somebody in to keep them motivated um, as they go through the season, because it does get long. I mean, there are, the last three years, we've been going on two years. COVID stopped that, but it was 2017. We we're in the final four, 18 and 19. We won it. Um, we felt like we had a chance to three-peat last year before we got broken up, but who knows what would happen. But the point is, is that we start January 28th, like you all probably do in Oklahoma. And then you go for us. It's a beat down to get to the state tournament. It's all the way till June 7th, 8th or 9th. Right. So think January to all the way to June and the weather changes, graduation comes, prom comes, all these things come. And to keep 34 kids and 17 or 18 of them that haven't played since the tournament season, it's it's difficult. So you, you've got to do other things other than baseball. you got to know about their brother and sister. you got to know what their plans are for college. you got to know about, hey, um, you know, thanks for this. Thanks for the community service you put in, this, this, and that. And you've got to make those relationships valid and livable so that they, they want to come back.
0: No, I love that. I love that answer. And, uh, you know, for me being an assistant too, it's it's a little bit different than, than your situation as the head coach. But I, I think I've really tried this spring to do rectify a wrong of mine, which was really focusing on the guys that are playing and instead trying to find those situations of where guys are disappointed, like the senior that's not getting the playing time that he wants or the the guy that's hurt, who's not really getting included in all of the different stuff. And then just being present next to them, like not trying to have a conversation about really anything other than baseball, but just checking in on how they're doing. I think that, you know, as an assistant, that is a great opportunity for all of us to be able to do that. And and again, I, I love it, it. It does even mean more from the head coach, uh, from the, from that perspective too, but just as a way of, of us as assistants, trying to, trying to do a better job of, of looking for those situations and being aware, uh, because you've got so much on your plate, but another thing that I wanted to really dig into as, as much as possible was you're developing a player evaluation system. And you previously mentioned uh, 10 or 15 minutes ago that you have 107 players in the program. And I, I just, man, that, that's just unimaginable of trying to figure out, okay, who are our best nine in any given day? And I'm sure you know the top three <laughs> in the lineup. You I still can haven't figured that it three. out. Trust yeah. Me. Oh man, it's uh, walk us through what you yeah. what you do and how you've developed that system.
1: Well, I developed it at Franklin only, and in initially I developed it in El Paso, and and this is one of those things when you're asking me about the standard I was going to set, what I was going to do if I got the job at South Lake, and so. I just was gonna do it my way. And I think one of the things at Franklin that we developed, it was for the wrong reasons, quite honestly, when I developed the program. And it was a, a just a small piece of what I do now with the with the evaluation system. But when I developed it there, I just I just knew we had to hit BP every day. And I knew we had to defend every day, live off the bat. And I knew that Um, I wanted our base runners to get looks every day off of the base with reading outs, whether it's less than two outs, one out, what you're doing on a ball hit to your right at second base versus left, how to read line drives off the bat, all these things. And I wanted to find a way to calculate, to take it down and jot it down and have my forms and then put it all together. And then every Monday put it up so the kids could see and figure out a percentage system and all this other stuff. So. I went out and got managers to do it for me at Franklin, but it was for the wrong reason. It was so that I could I had gotten a lot of uh, emails and, and consternation from parents that year because I was not a communicator. I had to learn to be that. I was the gruff coach who said it's my way or the highway, and that's what I had learned, and I thought that's the way it was. And I thought I'm I'm in charge now, I'm in charge, you know, and, and I realized very quickly that all that does is get you removed from being in charge if you're not careful, right? And so I think I, after learning from that, I started to think, man, what I want to play in my program. And that's actually what my wife asked me at the dinner table. Cause I was miserable after my first year. And she goes, why do you do it then? And I was like, I don't know the why. And I had to really think about that. And she goes, would you want our son to play for you? And that's, that hit me. And I was like, wow. Um, interesting. And so I of course rubbed her off and said, of course I would. But then when I walked away, I was like, man, I don't know if I would or not, you know? And so I I developed the system as a way initially to combat against the parent who asked me about playing time or JV, why are they on JV not on the varsity and how do they get into this? And, you know, my son's an all-star and select and travel and can't even make your varsity. That says more about you than it does him. And, you know, all these questions you would get and so forth. And so that's what it was. And so I had to figure out a way how to get it done. Um, And so I, I, went out and got managers <laughs> and I basically got girls and, and guys who didn't want to take PE class and got them a PE credit. And I walked into PE class and asked Flo Valdez, who was the PE coach at Franklin at the time and say, coach, do you have any that I can talk to that might want to do this? And they're just doing jotting. They're not running and they don't like PE and they want to run and do all this stuff. And she says, yeah, these kids don't do anything. They sit by the wall. And so I went over and talked to them and said, Hey, I can get you a PE credit. You won't have to come after school. I just need you during the block. Could you help us and this, this and that. And then the next year I went a step further and went into the math classes, the highest AP classes. And I said, I need you to help me develop a system where I can get down to one number. And I think um, that's what they did. And that's when I came up with the help get the index number coming down. I need to learn Excel really well. So I immersed myself and I'm still figuring out more and more on Excel so that I could add the columns on my own and, and not have to. I was doing so much paperwork, Jonathan, every week just to get those sheets up. But I wanted Jonathan to walk in on Monday every morning in the fall and go in and look at this sheet and see where they rank with base running errors versus positives and then what they did uh, hitting HHBs. Um, on number of swings, and um, I wanted to make sure that they knew what their fielding errors and chances and attempts were assessed. So I, I had to teach the kids how to do that. Is what I had to do. So it took me two weeks to model. So we did conditioning and weights with my assistant for two weeks, and all I did for two weeks was basically teach those seven kids. Hey, listen, I gave them all T-shirts. I took care of them. I think I give them gift gift cards to something. I said, guys, if you'll do this well for me. Man, I'll take care of you, this, this, and I'll write you letters of recommendation. I'll do everything I can, community service hours, all this stuff, but I need this to really work. And so they did. And, you know, a couple of these were girls in classes and stuff. And they, I said, you can't, the only rule is you can't talk to my baseball players. You can't go out with them and please, you know, I don't want any of that. And so they basically knew they would come set up. And at that time, I don't know how it is at Owasso, but you have, we had to 90 minute block, but 30 minutes is for study hall. And then you can practice for 55 minutes, right? So that 30 minutes would be downtime and we couldn't practice in that time. The girls and the guys, the managers, would all set up the rollaway cage. They put the pitching platform down, the L screen, the screen at first, at second, taught them how to do that, um, how to put the, the BP mat down and all the things that they did. And then they would get their clipboards and they would go to their stations. So when we were released and we changed clothes, we could use every minute we possibly could to get on there and start our rotation our group rotation where and they knew so a couple of them were in charge of the hhbs some were in charge of just watching the middle infield some were in charge of just watching the corner infielders some were in charge of watching the outfielders and then they had we had those in charge of the base runners so it's pretty extensive by the time we got it and they were stationed all over the field so they didn't get hit by flat by fly, fly balls and so forth but they it was a tally system jonathan that's all they did is they tallied basically mistakes versus positives and on the pitching side i would say i would throw bp every day that's why i don't have an arm anymore i got these great assistants to throw bp but i threw every day in the fall and i made them use wood so that i could really tell whether they were squaring up the pitch on the barrel versus on the knob and the handle and so we got the el paso diablos to donate the chicago cubs donated out of spring training guy from el paso was the equipment manager and after spring training broke he sent me like 50 bats so we just use wood we just use wood and So they tallied up and tallied up, and every Monday, and then I thought, man, that's all great, but how am I going to get down to – how am I going to really know? Well, when it changed for me was when I started to notice that the people with the HHBs were the ones who were really the grittiest ones in my lineup. And I was like, man, there's a positive correlation here. How How do I prove or disprove that correlation in the system? And so, sure enough, we got. I just developed, I said, I'm going to go ahead and get down to an index number and get down to one number. And so, it's, it started with HHBs, then it was fielding percentage, and then it became weights and conditioning. And then it became all sorts of different metrics, classroom achievement, how you kept the locker room. We did index numbers for everything. And then, all of those other index numbers, it came down to one index number. And I was adding more and more stuff and saying, Jonathan, wins the index championship with regard to the what we called war at the time and now it's it's dragon performance index but DPI but we take that number and we say okay over the years how is Jonathan is he a dude that we can actually he won they fall from you know August all the way till December when we broke for a uh, Christmas break we were able to see that Jonathan won the in overall index number and we look at it and go man is he a dude that's also there in June when we're in round Rock, or is he a dude that's there going through the grind of the playoffs that we can count on? And it started to match up. And that's when I got excited. And I was like, man, there's something here with this. And so that's when I basically bought into the whole darn thing and started developing more and more of it. And it became what basically what it is today.
0: And no, I love hearing that. And, and I love your process too, but I, I'm trying to imagine this and maybe you can paint a picture for me. So Varsity's 34 guys, I'm sure you have some pitcher onlys, but yes, so you guys do defense, base running and hitting groups every day, and I'm assuming you're going you're rotating off of the hitting groups. How many rounds and how many opportunities do they get?
1: Okay, now this is what what I'm talking about with the evaluation system is primarily in the fall, right? To get down to find out who my 34 are and then who my 24 hour for the JV black and 20 something for the JV green and then the freshman red and the yellow. So once that then that helps me make cuts because there's probably 60 70 kids that we don't keep around that have come out, right? So that helps me get done that and to pick who's on what roster. You know, you know how this is. There's some juniors that don't make varsity that are pretty good that you put down on JV. And a lot of that has to do with the development in the fall. In the spring, we don't do the war or the DPI in the spring. It's been developed. And, and now I, I don't want them focused on that kind of stuff. I want them to focus on skill development and going through it. We still hit, obviously we hit live every day, but there isn't the emphasis with regard to the people around tallying everything up. We don't tally in the in, in the spring. This is our game season. So we break up basically everything we do into the different seasons. We have... Uh, the fall off season program, which we do daily. Then we have the fall league that we do that you probably do at Owasso as well, where you have a fall league that you play probably jinx and all these different schools and, and so forth and that kind of stuff. And then, um, and then we have the uh, the spring season starts and then we have uh, the tournament season and then you get into the district season and then you get into what we call championship season. Right. And so, which is that push for, uh, an opportunity to have a chance to get to round rock. And so, you know, the, these are all these seasons broken up and each one of them has a different component element to it. Um, and so in the spring, the element is, Hey, listen, we're going to play baseball. This is when we get to have fun and play baseball. And um, you know, it's it's more with regard to strategy and what we're doing on scouting reports. It's not going to be the, the HHBs and the index numbers at that point. I mean, you, you know, this game changer tells us all that.
0: Right. Right. I love that. So, let's let's rewind a little bit so you've really outlined most of the fall for us and uh and i thank you for doing that so you guys start i guess you've got them in in the block schedule which is uh for most an hour and a half and i think you mentioned that uh you get them january 1 and then january 28th you can start practicing after school and then you start scrimmages in like two weeks i think so i want to know so you get you get them back from winter break and you're you know first week of January, you've got them for an hour and a half. And then you get to the end of January, you've got them for a little, long, little bit longer. But within that month period to the month and a half period, what are the things that you're like, okay, we've got to have X, Y, and Z done before we get to scrimmages or X, Y, and Z done before we hit tournament season in the middle of February?
1: Well, I mean, you have the tryouts, right? So the tryouts are a big part of that. And really it's 55 minutes. We have an hour and a half block to that, but we can only work out for 55 minutes. So we'll do that from January when we get back from the break. And what we're ironing out here is now is roster development, right? So we're trying to figure out rosters. We have the index from the fall, which I laid out for you. We have those numbers. And then when we go through, we're getting now a different flux of kids that we didn't have in the fall that went through the DPI because they're in football. And football around here goes pretty late too. And so they come late and especially this year. So they come flowing in after the break. And then you have the basketball kids a little later and the wrestling kids a little later and so forth. And so they come in. And so you have to integrate them into the practice scenario and their time is very limited. Their window is small to be able to make a roster, right? Unless they've established themselves and they've been returners or they've been on the varsity and they've made an impact, these kind of things. And you already know about them, but so really, what we're trying to do in that time period when we come back, Jonathan, is, to do, is is roster development, right? Is to figure out, okay, we've got we're playing three tournaments, and we've got you know we know we're going to play six games in each tournament, a doubleheader each day, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. We're going to play eighteen uh, games prior to the time that we really got to be ready to go for district season for our first game, right? And so we schedule very hard. So if we've got thirty four kids like this year, we had we scheduled at. Uh, We had the first tournament with the Rangers at the ballpark in Arlington, which is Globe Life. And we had IMG Academy there. They came even this year. Uh, We would have had the California schools, uh, Modern Day, and we would have had um, Orange Lutheran and some of these others. I think Modern Day was coming. I know for sure Orange Lutheran was coming, Jay Sarah, some of these other schools and the Phoenix schools, Hoover, Alabama, which is an incredible program. Uh, Parkview, Georgia, I think, had said no, but they were going to come next year. So we're scheduling all these these high-level tournaments, and then week two and week three are difficult. You schedule hard. And that looks like that because if you got 34 kids on and Jonathan is the second string shortstop in your viewpoint, based on what you've evaluated, well, when Jonathan we, we play separate lineups, every doubleheader. So maybe our top dudes will play in game one against IMG. Well, when we go and play the second game in the doubleheader on Thursday, and Jonathan's a second stringer and gets in. We want to make sure that if we're really going to build depth and if David, who's ahead of Jonathan at shortstop is, is playing against IMG, well, I don't want Jonathan to go four for four when David went 0 for four against IMG because you're playing lesser talent. And then I get an email from your mom and says, Hey, he should be the starter. He was four for four. And yeah. But the competition's different. So I think scheduling roster development is critical in that you make sure you're playing the top level competition you possibly can so that you get a fair and accurate assessment and evaluation of your kids against quality pitching. And that's a big, big part of it. So you're asking me what what's on my mind with regard to developing and laying that out. It's, it's really about how can we schedule? Are these guys competition ready? And, yeah, they may be the second guys, but they're going to play. They're going to play nine of the 18 games. They're going to get in and play, and we're not going to worry about results as much at that time.
0: I love hearing that, and, and I love uh, just, again, how intentional everything that, that you're doing is, even to the point of we want every player to have an equal opportunity against the same competition so we can truly find out, you know, are these are all of these hits versus a guy who's throwing 62 or 92? So yeah. it's a big difference there, and I, and I love that. So during the season, and this is something that, that I've never really experienced as a head coach of just kind of seeing – And you, you know, as the assistant, you have all the answers. And I think all, all the assistants out there have gone through that of where, Hey, we would do things differently. You go through the season and you are trying to figure out when to push, when to pull, how much to do team defense versus how much we need to be lifting weights versus how much we need to be getting them in bed early and trying to have a feel for that. And just, Give us some advice in regards to that because it, it's a really open ended question, and it depends on the team, on the game, on the on the year, on the time of the week, uh, which season that you're in. You mentioned three of them, but just I would love to hear your thoughts on developing a feel for that.
1: Yeah, I think I think a lot of that. It, I will tell you, there's not a one way fits all. Okay, so I'll tell you that. I'll give you an example that may help you um, answer it directly. What you're asking is like today, for example, we lost last night to a very good Keller baseball team that has now taken over first place and we're in second place. Right. And so um, today we came in and we don't play again until Friday, our next district game. And so we are, we came in today and we, we we're, we know our plan. Our plan today was to be proactive. It's been this way for a while, but it's changed and adapted. It's dynamic, not static. And what we, what we do is we do plate workouts, right? We're trying to get them healed. We're extreme stretching. We do some long toss to tolerance. Um, and then we get into the weight room and we do what we call our plate workout, which is is designed essentially more to be more of a, you know, a, of aerobic kind of mentality with 45 pound weights uh, that we do different exercises and go through a, a circuit with that. Well, there was a there was a feeling last night after we lost amongst myself and I had to really get with my assistants and primarily with Coach Whiteley, who's our pitching coach and top assistant. You know, I was on the phone with him this morning and, and going back and forth. I know this is our plan. Do we need to scrap that after last night? I mean, we struck out 11 times last night. They had a dude on the mound over there at Keller. It's 96 miles an hour with a hook. And, you know, we struck out 11 times, but we still out hit them 8 to 6, and our HHB levels were high. But when you strike out 11 times, you don't put enough pressure on the defense. So we need to be better. Maybe we need to spend the Wednesday and scrap the the plan and let's get in the, into the cage work and let's work on being able to get into O2 count situations. And what can we do? Let's get a nasty hack attack 52 breaking ball. That's going to break out of the plane and see if we can at least foul it off because the pitcher's likelihood not going to throw that again intentionally where he wants to, and he's going to miss and it will be up and we, we bang it. Right. And so the idea was let's scrap it. And, he went round and round. He said, yes. Okay. Yeah. Let's do that. We need to be better. And we, we need to be more uh, consistent with contact. Um, you know, we made three errors in one inning, which is not like us at all. Um, and we made three errors in one inning and that was really the difference there. And so, you know, do and we play on turf, the game was on dirt. So there was a lot, Hey, let's take them mo- out. Let's get the infielders over on the dirt field at the high school. And then the other guys can work on this and, And we could scrap the weight work and the stretching and the long toss and all that other stuff. In the end, I decided not to. And I just basically, it wasn't for any other reason except, you know what, Um, this is what we do. Uh, If we really felt like we weren't playing well, our kids' attitudes weren't good, it's a pulse and a feeling, um, then I maybe would have done it. But I just felt like, you know what, the kids are in this groove. This is what we do. And if I show panic. And I try to change things. They're going to feel that. So when they walked in today, they're, they're probably looking. I said, guys, we're, we're on plan, man. You guys, listen, we didn't play great last night, but I don't have any doubt in you. I said, so let's just stick to the plan and we'll get after it. Then Thursday, when we come back tomorrow, we'll get into a, a little longer practice and preparation. We'll do our scattering port, get into preparation for a very good Keller central team on Friday. And so, you know, I think, and we did, we went through our workout, but, I, the point I'm trying to make is there's consternation in that as well, even doing this for 30 years. Um, and, and even being in a place like South Lake, you still, you question a lot of things. And so it's never going to go away. But what I would tell you is the, the more experience you get, the more you have a feel for, and this is where your leaders come in on your team, right? You, you trust the guys there and you have conversations. We have a group called the all greens that are voted on by the players and um, you know, I, I consult with them a little bit. I don't give them a whole lot of leeway, but what I do is communicate with them and say, "Hey, what's what's the pulse? What's the feel here with this, this and that?" And sometimes what they say, I I, I listen to, and other times I say, "Hey, listen, I don't think so. We're going to go ahead and go this way," um, and so forth. But but I do want to know the pulse, right? And the kids were fine, and I thought, well, let's just let's just go through with what we do, and let's don't sound like we're we're out of sorts here, and you know, and so uh, hopefully that'll go a long way. So if it was a different message, Jonathan, it might've been, you know what, let's get in the cages and let's get the other group over at the dirt field at the other campus. And let's, uh, let's take about 500 ground balls off those dirt, you know, and react that way. And that's what most coaches do, right? When you, and, and I had to learn this and when you make a bunch of mistakes or errors like this, when you want to go fix it right away, you wouldn't put the band-aid on it. Right. But you got to remember, it's a process. You've built that up kids. You know, and I told them today, I said, you know what Keller practices too. They work at it. They they're in the cages. Their pitchers do bullpens. They work hard too. They're a year round program as well. They're very well coached. And so you're going to fall short every now and then. I said, but it doesn't mean you need to panic. You just need to stay the course. We know what our development looks like. We know what efforts we've put in from day one all the way through. And so we're just going to trust the process is what we're going to do.
0: No, that's fantastic. And I I love hearing that uh, advice. And again, it's, coming from an experience and then you're reading the pulse, and you're getting all these different feedback and then you're ultimately deciding, Hey, this is, this is what you know we think. And, and so I really, I, I appreciate, you know, the honesty and the transparency behind that. You also mentioned, and this is a, another interesting take too. You guys haven't lost a playoff game uh, since you've taken over as a, as a head coach. So let's go ahead and break that down. And, oh, and that's, that's give us your secret sauce. Uh, Cause I would that's not to completely you know.
1: true. Well, we have. I mean, I, I don't mean it like cocky. I mean, I, I think you know this is the most humbling game there is, right? Oh, I mean that not just to say it. It's 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 definitely true. I mean, I think you know we've been fortunate, and um, we have lost. We you know in 2017, in round one, we played Plain Ohio, and we won game one, and then we lost game two, five to four, and then as you know, it's six rounds in Texas just to get six weekends just to get to round rock, right. Or five weekends. And then you get to round rock for the semifinal and then the final, if you're fortunate enough. Right. So we, we lost that round one to Plano in game two, and then came back in one game three, won the series. Um, and that same year we lost to, if you count it as a playoff game, the final four, we lost three to two in the state semifinal to deer park out of Houston. Right. But we hadn't really lost. We hadn't. We didn't lose in 18, and we didn't lose in 19. Okay, and so when you look at all the games, uh, you know, and, and I've been in this now as I was telling you a very long time, I, it's just it's mind. numbing how in El Paso and everywhere else I've been, even in the Metroplex, even when I was a, a coach at Southlake as an assistant, you would always lose a game in a best of three series. You'd have to pull out, or you know, these kind of things, and you might lose a game every week and, and win the series, right? So, yeah, it's a it's been a crazy run for sure. And they've been with two different groups. So it's not been the same group of kids. It's been two different groups kind of that have done this. And so um, that part of it has been very exciting. And, um, you know, but, you know, it's like George Patton says, right. I'm a big George Patton fan. He says, all glory is fleeting. So it's just a matter of time before it all bursts, right? So you know, no, enjoy no. it now.
0: And, and uh, again, it's 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 to one to commend you, but also by the time this airs, a lot of schools in the South will be preparing their teams for championship season. And so, I, I would love to hear just your thoughts on how do you how do you prepare your team for championship season?
1: Well, I think you cut back. I'll, I'll tell you what we do is we cut back on the practice length. It's getting warmer. Um, and I think what we do is we get it more into group rotation. Um, we, we try to make it a lot more fun than, than, than just laborious. You've got kids who now that haven't played in a long time as going to the earlier part of this podcast, you were talking about, well, how do you keep those kids engaged and you know, you got graduation coming. You have some seniors who haven't played in a long time. Their parents are putting pressure on them. You got family coming for graduation and yet we're still trying to play and trying to get these kids committed. Because as you know, as we talked about, if those kids start to float away, well, the rest of them feel it, right? So you got to keep them engaged. So I think just making practice fun, making it lighter, um, you know, the skill development part, we'll pick a day where we're really trying to refine, whether it's our back picks, or it's our bunk coverages, or we're working on first and third offense, what we're trying to do, or what we're trying to do on the contact play at third. So we'll have an element there with regard to um, really emphasizing a specific thing we want to do better at. But then it really revolves around group rotation in our BP system because we get a lot of work. We get live look off just BP. It's not a normal BP situation where guys are – we don't shag. We don't ever shag. I mean, there, there's three outfielders out there, and the POs are on the boarding tracks, and they stay away from the outfielders. the outfielders can't get to it, then, then they hold their position, and they get ready for the next one, right? They're not chasing and so it's a lot of live looks, along with 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 intentional, and I call it this intentional fungo. And so the screens are out, and we're working specifically whether we have a machine in a PO is feeding or a coach is hitting. If he's not working on something else, we're working five to four feeds, or we're working six to four to three with a with an auxiliary first baseman up uh, up the line with a screen protecting him. Um, you know, and then maybe while we're throwing BP, we have other screens that are lined up on the wings where. We're trying to work inside game and stay inside the baseball. And, and if they hit the screen, then, you know, that's a bad situation. They lose a couple cuts or whatever, but they got to stay inside the baseball and hit the ball at the middle. And so when that's happening, then we work the, the five unassisted put out or the six to five rare play there. So third base is not getting hit uh, because there's a screen there off of BP. So it, it's just really that kind of intention with regard to um, what we're doing with batting practice but everything revolves around the batting practice as we get into the championship season. So we cut down on our segments, our individual stuff starts to cut down. Um, You know, we don't do as much, uh, you know, we don't need as many POs getting. So Wednesdays uh, and well, not Wednesdays during district season, but Wednesdays in the tournament season, we'll have guys throw on Wednesdays live against hitters that haven't thrown in a while. So that's a station. So we'll do a lot of mixed stations where four of our hitters are rotating in group one over to live against a pitcher who hasn't thrown, but needs to get work and he'll throw almost like a simulated BP of 24 pitches. And we got four hitters going to see it and they get three pitches and they may work bunt. They may work late show, early show, whatever it is they're doing. If it's short game, they're working slash slash hit and run that kind of stuff. And so, you know, it's, it's, it's all that stuff starts to kind of go away as we get into the championship season. And now it's about, Hey, listen, Let's get them in, let's get them their work and let's get them out and that's kind of what we do and and so you know the talks are more frequent the communication is more engaging um, the passion for what we're doing the the is there with regard to the selling of you know we spend a lot of time on preparation with regard not only to us but what we're going to do with scouting reports and um, who are our next opponents and so forth so it's it's not as much of the segmentation of the big practice schedule like it is you know at this point it's now, Um, into uh, just trying to meet those connections and get these guys rested too. It's a balance, right? I mean, it really is.
0: No doubt, no doubt. And you hear that all the time, but I appreciate you telling us what you're cutting back on because it's, it's not easy when you're looking at a practice schedule going, man, we may see this, we may see that. And you hear coaches similar to yourself we're like, Hey, you got to cut back time. And then you may or may not go watch a practice and it's still almost three hours. And you're like, well, what are you cutting back on? So I really appreciate the, yeah, the yeah.
1: yeah. It's a 12 minute rule. I will tell you this, it's a 12 minute rule, right? And so if you can't get it done in 12 minutes, you need to get off. Uh, Cause you can sit there and for 12 minutes, you can watch it go to hell on the first and third bunk coverage. And you're talking to them and we've been doing this since August. And it's like, why are we struggling with this? And instead of enduring through it for 15, 20, you know, let me get a couple more reps to feel good about this. Well, what you're doing is making yourself feel good. The kids are just getting annoyed, but you want to feel good when you go home, right? It's about you. And so once you once you separate that and let it be about them, get them what they need, then you can talk effort, right? You can talk effort and say, listen, it was your effort level. It's not your execution. You can, you're execute if your effort's there, right? And so I think you can get that talk done separately of another 15 minutes of that drill. And so, um, you know, it's, that's, that's a thing I learned is more ego than anything else. It's about, it's about us as coaches why we want to keep going. You know, the kids are like, Coach, we've been doing this forever. You know, how many more reps do I have to get of this? And so uh, you, you got to get your stuff done. You do. But I think it's more like the sprinkle side. You know, you put a little flavor on it and you move on to the next thing. Um, as you get there else you're going to wear them down man. you really are
0: no doubt well I've got some quick hitters here and then we'll let you go and uh, you know while we're talking about championship season uh, again by the time this airs uh, we're going to both be in the middle of it and so uh, best of luck and and looking forward to seeing how well that, that you guys do in, in the long Texas playoff system that it is <laughs> so uh, but I do have, you to guys end.
1: too. You guys too. Good luck.
0: Oh, thank you. Thank you. So with, uh, with that, what is something that you've learned lately that's gotten you really excited?
1: Oh, with regard, there's a lot of things I've learned lately, uh, mostly in my EP psychology class that, uh, virtual learning doesn't work. That's what I've learned lately. Um, but no, with regard to baseball, I think, uh, with regard to baseball, uh, you know, it, it it's going to go back to something you're going to be tired of hearing, but it's making connections with kids. I mean, I it really is. It's um, it's the tone, the effort, the attitude, um, the support system that goes behind these kids. And when they fail, how are you going to support that? How are you going to get on board with them? How are you going to make that connection so that they feel good about themselves because they have the skill or else you wouldn't have picked them in the first place? Right. So you just got to find a way how to to keep their spirits up. And listen, I'm as hard on kids as anybody. Trust me. I'm not sweet. Uh, there's no doubt. And I'll come across and I'm I'm attack mode at times. But then I think with that in mind, as long as you built up those relationships, and the kids know where you're coming from, and you give them a pat on the back, and you tell them, I'm going to be there with you to keep getting better. I think they'll buy into what you're doing. And so I think my challenge is always to do that. So I'm still searching for how I can get better with regard to connecting the kids. um, Because that's always changing with the with the technology and stuff.
0: For those familiar with finite and infinite games, I feel like that one is is an infinite one. It's ever-changing, and it's a never-have-arrived one for sure. Next question I've got for you. What is something that you have changed your mind about?
1: Oh, man. I thought virtual learning was going to be a good thing. It's not. Okay, so I will tell you that in the classroom. I know I keep going to that because that's what's on my mind. Well, I mean, I think with regard to baseball, I think, um, you know, there's a lot of things. I, last night, I thought it would be nice to to allow my, my varsity team to get BP on the field. And we had a JV scheduled game there. And it was going to make us have to hit BP in the cages. And I wanted to go through my rotation. And so I quick challenged and changed my JV game over to a city park. And um, I realized within probably an hour that that was a mistake because not only, you know, from some feedback I got, why are we not playing at the senior high and this, this and that from parents? I thought, well, I sit there and talk about connection and about value of every team, and I'm sending them off just so my guys can get BP. So I think I changed my mind about that. Uh, in the big picture, I think I, I've i learned that I've changed my mind about like what we talked about with regard to length of practices. I've changed my mind about uh, regard to short game and how to utilize uh, the bunt in the day and the age of the composite, the kind of bats we're using these days. Um, I, I value that much more. So the emphasis on that. I value much more uh, the extreme long toss program that we've implemented. I've changed my mind on that. I was not a huge long toss guy for a long time. I'm definitely on board with that. Um, I'm definitely on board and changed my mind with regard to the use correctly of weighted balls for arm development. Um, so there's quite a bit that I've changed my mind on, to be honest with you.
0: Sure. That's a great list. What is a drill that your players love that we can steal from you?
1: I don't know if you'd have to ask the players if they love all the drills, but, uh, you know, we're, we're really drill oriented in the fall and the early spring. Um, and you know, I think, I think, One of the drills we do, I tell you here, I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what I love the best because I think it pays the most dividends. I don't know if the kids would love it the most, but I think the one that I love the most and the kids fake it at least well with me and smile. Yeah, it's great coach. But is our base running drill when we put an L screen up and we have a coach throw from 35, 40 feet and we have a group that's hitting. And in that group, there's a runner on first, second, and third we have a defensive group out there at all positions. We're playing it live. They get one pitch. The hitter is hitting uh, hit and run. The, the runner at first base is working hit and run with the hitter. The runner at second is working tag halfway or he's in hover mode trying to figure out whether to tag or go on the, on the ball based on his reads of the outfielder. And then the runner at third is working what we call red or gold on ground balls and we move the infield in halfway or back and they have to read what's going on there on down angle, line drive or fly ball to score. But the runners are, they're working all independently of each other. So the bases aren't loaded for each of the runners and the outfielders are changing their cuts from cut two to three. And that the runners that run 90 feet have to read that the hitter hits the ball off the hit run. And he runs around first and makes his banana route and has to really attack second and drop his hips and slow down and be able to get back to first and read the throw so i think that that drill is a 12 minute segment that i absolutely love and it's paid dividends for us uh, with regard to our. because i think that's really what has been a difference for us if i had to tell you anything it's been how we run bases and quite honestly how we how we um steal bases i mean that's a big part of it
0: i love that thank you for sharing and then finally what is a resource or book or program that has really shaped you as a coach or something that you recommend to any of our listeners to go out and and better themselves it could be psychology or baseball or you know head coach or just person whatever you want but what what is something that comes to mind
1: well the most important book to me you know it's always by my bedside and I've, I've had it for a long time. I'm not going to tell you I read it every day or anything like that crazy, but it's when I wake up, it's there. Um, it's important to me is Lincoln on leadership. Um, it's just a small little book, but again, it's Abraham Lincoln on leadership. And to me, it's the epitome of humility and, and just goodness, right? Just how to treat people. Um, he didn't, he wasn't perfect at either. Like I'm definitely not, but he loved people. He wanted to communicate with people. He wanted to invest in people. And I thought um, he valued and saw people as an asset to a to an organization and didn't see himself above that. And that it was a collaborative approach. And I think that has always been something that um, I've admired. And in reading his stuff and reading that book and going through excerpts, there's excerpts I'll take all the time from that. So that's one. I think anything to do, quite honestly, with B.F. Skinner and operant conditioning. Uh, being a psychology teacher, I think I love that the how how you condition based on reward and punishment and reinforcement. Um, what are the methods to use in certain times with regard to development of the of the young brain and the kids that we coach? What is best for them and how that's constantly changing with regard to um, technology and to parenting and. All the other things that go on. Kids are different. They're not different, but they are, if, if that makes sense with regard to their stimuli. So I think anything to do with uh, with BF Skinner and, um, you know, it goes a long way, too. And of course, I mean, I love John Wooden and I, I my dad, you know, I raised me on Don Haskins in El Paso. So I love Don Haskins. I love I love uh, anything to do with John Wooden. Um, those kind of things. And and so just the art of coaching in general, I, I'm a big fan. Everybody knows this of Auggie Garrido uh, was always a huge fan of his, um, you know, cause I grew up originally in Southern California before I moved to uh, Texas. And so I saw Auggie when he was at Fullerton, when I was a little kid going to camps and then I worked as camps when I moved to El Paso and was a coach at Texas and he was a coach at Texas. And so, you know, I've always admired him. So a lot about him as well.
0: No, wow, that's wonderful. I love that. Well, Larry, I, man, I, I learned a lot today. I know that that our listeners have as well. And let me be the first to say thank you for sharing just and opening up your playbook and, and giving us so much today. But I did want to give you the opportunity to uh, just share with our guests. And uh, for the guests listening, guests li- that are listed, or the, sorry, for the listeners that are listening, uh, they can find your contacts in the show notes. And I'll, I'll make sure and link those. But Larry, before you go, I know you've got a long week ahead of you and a lot of things to do, but is there anything else that you'd like to tell our listeners before you go?
1: No, just thank you for the opportunity. It's been exciting. And thank you for the opportunity to uh, share my story and uh, and uh, be a part of this podcast and uh, your professionalism. Thank you so much. And good luck to everybody, um, if I can help in any way. And hopefully, uh, I'd love to hear from you so I can hear from learn from you as well. So thank you for the opportunity.
0: Thank you for listening to Ahead of the Curve. You can subscribe on your favorite podcast platform, which can include Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, or YouTube. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please share it on social media to help get the word out. Once again, thank you for joining us.